Hello Life Changes Church. We are in our series, Move Again. We are looking through the book of Exodus as the Israelites move out of slavery and oppression, move through the wilderness and move into the promises of God. Head over to our social media or our website for more content such as podcasts and blogs. But also grab a notebook and a pen as we look at all that God has for us during this time. Don't know about you, but um, there's a lot going on in our world. And um, we'd be crazy just to move on and not understand and realize that things are changing, things are happening at a rapid pace. I want to read from Psalm 20, 46. God is our refuge and strength, our ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Say we will not fear. We will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea, though the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams may glad the city of God, the holy place where the most holy dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will, will help her at, at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. His vo he lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is within us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And um, there's lots happening in our world, as you can see and as you know. And it's the time of the believers to stand, to hold on, to know that their God is on the throne. Their God is seated on His throne. He's not shaken. But He's calling His people to stand, to stand in faith, to stand in courage, to be those who will speak with a different spirit and to bring His faith and His courage to this world right now. And never before, honestly, I believe the opportunity for the gospel has never been greater. And, and that doesn't mean that we have a responsibility to pray for peace. It doesn't mean we have a that we don't have a responsibility to pray for peace, to pray for healing, to pray for order, to pray for God's justice to come. No, we do need to pray for those things. We need to be giving attention and time right now for both nations that are at war right now and our world that is in turmoil. As people are scrambling, I've realized that people have been captivated. I've, watched, I've, I've asked people and people are spending hours and hours watching news reports and, and that's that's fine. Being aware of what's going on in our world, that's fine. But make sure that you're finding yourself in the presence of God for the strategies that He has for us. Because the reality is, the Bible speaks very clearly into these times of nations falling, nations rising, and the uprisings within our world. At this time, we need to be throwing ourselves before the presence of God in prayer for healing for nations, for authority, His authority to reign in our world, and His peace to come down at these times. And we do that only by staying in faith and making sure we don't allow fear to keep and tell stories. Is that good? Let us be praying. And we're praying. People are asking. We're praying. We're praying. Life groups are praying. People are gathering during the weeks around the city. Let's continue to do that. If you're looking for people to join in prayer, why don't you speak to Dave, Kasha, Quinton, many others. Join a life group. Join a smaller group. And let's be praying together for all that God's got for our nation. Good. And we know we're going to show the video this week of... Um, of, of uh, the Exodus story, but if you want to find out more, it's all on websites, it's all available, but I trust and I hope and my greatest encouragement that you would be reading the Word of God. And we, the last two nights, we've spent watching the Exodus movie with my kids, Well, then you've got to go back to the Bible because there's definitely a lot of Hollywood going on in Exodus, but it's good. I mean, it's good. They gave it a good shot, and, and it's really helpful to see in the scale and the context. I just want to jump, as we speak about so much happening in our world and so much changing, I heard a really interesting story. So much has changed, even over these last two years of corona. And uh, as we've navigated COVID and as we've navigated the, the, all the different times, and we've, everyone could write a book, their own book about corona. But I did have an entry. I went to one of my friend's houses recently in the Tableview area, and I, I jokingly said to him, is your neighbor still running around their house? 
To which the answer was, you won't believe it. He's still running around his house. Now, I don't know if you're on Facebook or social media at all. Do you remember during a hard lockdown, people would put those photos, it looked like they'd taken a really bad red pencil and colored in the outside of their house as they'd run around their house and some of their Strava or some of these other things that athletes use to show where they've been in the last 45 minutes show that they've run around their house 75 times. One of my friends ran 72 kilometers in his property around his house. There wasn't a square inch of anything not colored in once he, I mean, he even visited, you saw when he visited the bathroom, you could say, oh, there he went, there he goes. And, and uh, I was so amazed to find out that we are now two years later, it is March 2022. And, and I heard this story that for me is tragic of a man still running around his house. We live in Cape Town. If you dare to run, you will see a mountain from somewhere. We, have, we live here because there's a mountain and it's beautiful. It has vistas. It has all sorts of things we can see. If you just go that way for a few kilometers, you can run on one of the most spectacular beachfronts in the world. So it saddens me that a man would still run around. It's not about someone running around his house. He's getting his exercise. He's probably getting his vitality points if that's what he wants. He's getting his miles. And, but I want to say some things have changed for the better and some things haven't in Corona. I want to speak, we have jumped into this online world and every week we have literally hundreds of people watching online. And I think that's amazing. Honestly, I think it's incredible. I've had friends of mine who would never have come to a church, definitely not this church, if they knew I was the pastor, they wouldn't come here. And yet they've watched online and they've encountered God. And that is spectacular. But I want to say as we come into something of the freedom and the space that's entering our world again, I want to speak to the church and remind us that there is power in our gathering, not as some religious act, but there's always been power in the gathering of the believers filled with the Spirit. We see in Acts 2, they devoted themselves and they devoted themselves to gathering. It speaks so clearly. It says that all the believers were together. They continued to meet together. And my agenda in challenging this and challenging this not to call people back so we can fill seats in a church. I honestly believe we are better when we're together. I honestly believe I need the praise of those around me in moments together, I, especially when the world is at war. But here's what we've promised as a local church, and here's what we promised as a leadership, and we speak about it every time we do new partners courses. It's not my job to devote the believers, and it's not my job to devote you to gathering with the saints. It's just not my job. It says they devoted themselves. And, and I want to say as we come out, and, and I realize even as I've chatted to a few people, oh, you're back at church. We're very much back at church. There are people here. If you're in the room, say, hey. That's real people. That wasn't sound effects. They're like real people, not um, those uh, hologram images. You are real. Eh? Just checking for myself. Yes, they say. And, and they have masks on, and we have spaces between chairs, and we're doing this stuff. But I realize as I've chatted to more and more people, I have a major heart of concern as a pastor for loneliness and isolation of believers that is causing chaos. And I'm seeing it in marriages, I'm seeing it as insecurities, I'm seeing it in fears, and people are still running around the house, and maybe we're still getting our exercise as Christians, and we believe in Jesus, I'm not doubting that at all, but I'm telling you, we're not meant to be isolated. And this is a pastor's cry to believers to say the world is opening up, it's the world of opportunity, be with the saints, gather with the saints, and God wants to do amazing things. And if you're watching online, like we have people who watch every week, and from different countries all over the world. I love that, and I thank you for being with us. But I cannot encourage you strongly enough, find a local church. If you want to keep watching to be fed and to be encouraged, 
do that. But please find a local church where you can jump into community and to gathering and have people in your world who can be there, stand and challenge you at times when we need it so we can spur one another on. Is that good? Is that encouraging? We love the privilege that we had of gathering. The world is opening up. Go for a run outside your property. Maybe that's the word some people needed here. But we are jumping into our Move Again series, and Mr. Gabriel Phillips kicked us off last week. The redhead, the fiery redhead, full of fire. What you don't see is as he preaches, the more he came back for the third service, he was singing Beyonce songs. It gets out of hand. You're safer in the 8.30 service. It, it, gets, it gets nasty. And we're talking about what we see in the early chapters of, of Exodus is this, the birth of a redeemer. We birth of someone that God sent into chaos of 430 years of slavery. I mean, we can't even imagine that. 400 years, generational slavery, children being born into slavery and all they've ever known are whips and chains and the abuse of an oppressor. God says, enough. I've seen the suffering of my people. God steps in, and how he steps in is he chooses a, a, a child to be born, and the mother finds courage. The hero of the book of Exodus is a mother. It's a mother who says, I will not surrender to this oppressor, who generation after generation has said, give me your children into slavery. I will not. So she pushes him out into the waters and says, God, the God of heaven, Isaac, Abraham, Jacob, my son, and pushes them out. And God orchestrates the most phenomenal situation as there's an awareness of Pharaoh's daughter gets him and organizes. And God uses five profound ladies to orchestrate the taking down of the greatest Pharaoh they'd ever seen. But God raises up this man Moses in the house of Pharaoh, in the, in the prince's realms. We don't know exactly where, how. And, and some of the movies will say he was best mates with Pharaoh. We don't know that. But we know he was raised and he would have got the privileges of that realm. He would have got the privileges of that. And for 40 years, he's raised in there until God arrests him and God starts to speak to him. And he gets sent out for 40 years after killing one of the, the Egyptians. He has to run and flee into the desert and goes on a journey of learning what it is to shepherd a people. What it is to be a shepherd. Because God's going to ask him to lead his people through a desert for 40 years. So he learns with sheep. He says, I'm going to teach you something in that desert. I'm going to teach you who I am. I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to call you. And God calls him back, and the Exodus story starts to unfold. God starts to speak, and God sends this boy who's now a man, a man who knew the realms of the kings and the Pharaoh's son, says, I'm going to call you to lead probably 2 to 2.5 million people to 3 million people. That's the best estimation. I don't know about you, but I sometimes think, how is that even possible? If you go on Wikipedia, they say it's not possible. That's fine. There's a whole bunch of things in the Bible that say it's not possible. But two and a half million people leaving through the desert. You see, you understand after 400 years of slavery, part of the rationale, even in the people themselves, are we can't be set free. We aren't warriors. How are we going to fight the enemies, the Hittites and all these dudes who are going to come at us? Someone else will just make us their slaves. Even Pharaoh would have justified in his own understanding that keep them here, keep them fed, keep them alive. Why? Because if we send them out, they have no hope. They have no chance, except the God of heaven is on their side. And so the story starts to unfold. And I want to tell you the greatest challenge about the story and what's so relevant to us today is that the driving force for freedom wasn't the resilience of the people. They weren't even asking for it. No one was shouting, we are the freedom resilience crew. No, no one had that party going. 
The, the, it, it wasn't the generosity of Pharaoh, not even close. This underpinned his whole economic health and wealth of the Egyptians. They built their kingdom off the back of the Hebrew people by whipping them and beating them into submission to carry their rocks, to build their pyramids, to build their palaces. This wasn't uh, any kind of fight. And the, feed, the people had forgotten what it was to be free. And so captivity had become their way of life. Freedom was a foreigner to them. The challenges, I think is one of the biggest challenges in our world today. That slavery doesn't get the name that it is in people's lives and stories. Let me give you some examples. What about debt as a slave master? Generational lifestyles of leading to debt. And let me give you some examples. The, the statement that if I can afford it, if, if I can loan it, I can afford it. That is a slavery statement, if I'm being honest. Just because a loaner, a lender, a bank, someone says you can loan it, doesn't mean you can afford it. And only we took a few weeks into Corona to expose that. And so we've got the God being served of aspiration or the God of the good life being served. We've got the slave master, which is credit cards and revolving credit and compound interest, driving people's stories deeper, deeper, deeper into debt. And we've got the whips and chains of compound interest back on top of that. Is, that. is that real enough for you? Sorry, but why are we preaching the book of Exodus? Just because someone told us from far away that we have to preach Exodus. Not at all. When Paul wrote books of Ephesians and Philippians, he was writing into those contracts with a pastoral concern. And I want to tell you why we're preaching the book of Exodus. Yes, to learn who God is. But secondly, for a pastoral concern that there's too much slavery in the church and we've stopped calling it and stopped speaking to it. And what about sexual brokenness that becomes more and more acceptable because sexuality becomes this relational currency rather when intimacy should be, as the Bible spoke, celebrated in and for marriage alone. But in our world, sexual brokenness is celebrated. And having a sexual story or testimony is the somehow the mark of a man. An initiation into manhood is somehow some sexual lewd act. It's not what the Bible says, guys. It's not what the Bible calls us to. It's actually another form of slavery. Or what about insecurity where people living on media and, and, and people dying because of having dangerous operations to make their butts a lot bigger? This is the Brazilian butt lift is killing people, guys. And we can laugh about it, but it's true. Because people are desperate for affirmation in a world that's not going to give it. And the very thing they think is going to, it's called slavery. It's just another form. The honor, and, and God is calling us to be a people who are on the move and understanding why. Why did God go after this people? Why? Well, there's a couple of reasons, and I won't cover them all today. But the first one is this. Our God is a jealous God. And I know jealousy is an emotion that somehow gets so made human and, and it's this, it plays out in every rom-com. It plays out in every loving, remember loving? The bold and the beautiful. Bridge, he's mine. No, he's mine. No, he's mine. And, and all these things, it's like, it drives every, remember bridge? Like, what's a ridge? Not bridge. Ridge. He was a bridge <laughs> with a chiveled jaw. And, and it's like this, it's like every episode had this iron current of jealousy just driving everything. And, and uh, it doesn't matter where you go. You can go to Isidingo. You can go everywhere. It's all there. 
Oh, and the jealous people are playing. And, and, but God is not that kind of jealousy. God is holy and he's righteous. But it only takes a bit more reading down the book of Exodus and God starts to speak about and speak into his jealousy. In Exodus 20, verse five and six, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, he's speaking about himself. God is speaking about himself. I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands, to those who love and keep my commands. It carries on, and then the golden calf appears, and God breaks in and threatens to destroy them, but Moses intercedes. You've got to read these stories because they reveal who God is. And then Exodus 34, they, they're told not to worship any other God because God says, for the, because it's spoken for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous. Now, I'm talking about a holy and righteous jealousy. You see, there's only one who deserves glory, the glorious one. And we live in a world where everyone's getting glory, but it's not true glory. And there's a jealous God who wants your glory. There's a jealous God who wants your love. There's a jealous God who wants your attention. But he has to pull us out of slavery to get it. And the only way we get out of slavery is if we start realizing we're in slavery. He's jealous for his honor. He's jealous for his love. And, and his jealousy is 100% linked to his love. Secondly, and why this big story of the book? Well, the big mission of God. And I want to push us because often we stub and we live in a world of one line of scriptures and I get the helpful dynamic of, of living in those worlds and understanding, but there's the big story of the gospel from Genesis to Revelation that continues today, that continues. And be reminded that God is on a restoration process. And God is on a journey, and he gives us the exodus as both a liberation of his people, but a picture to a people today to be reminded that God is still setting his people free. He made his people for freedom, for promised land, for take territory and take ground. And it's part of the big story of the gospel. And as we are reminded that there's this mission of God playing out, God keeps speaking the word, let my people go, let my people go, let my people go so they can serve me, so they can worship me. I want to remind us of those things because all of a sudden today we're jumping into the plagues. Sounds so foreign to us. Some of us are like, oh, frogs. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, people go mad. I remember when Cape Town had a water shortage and, and people going mad. Imagine all the water turned to blood. Welcome to the plagues. We're going to go through that today. And God, I want to tell you, in all the plagues, right until the very last plague, the people of God are going, we'll just sit here and watch it play out. From the fourth plague, the third, fourth plague, they are unaffected. Uh, they, they're not even experiencing any discomfort. They're just sitting there watching going, let's see what God can do. And I'm telling you, sometimes we are that entitled as the children of God. And we're reminded God is on a big story and God hasn't forgotten that he's on a journey to regaining his glory. So point number one, the God of glory will always make his glory known. Always. Doesn't matter the context, doesn't matter wars that rage, doesn't matter shortages in our earth or economic chaos that's on the go. The God of glory will always make his glory known. Let's read from Exodus chapter five as we jump back into this amazing book. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord 
that I should obey him and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Good old Pharaoh. Consistent with the Pharaohs of our day. Actually, you want freedom? No, work harder with less, make more. We're not going to let you off. That's what's playing out here. And so Pharaoh starts to speak, but the classic and the turning of the whole scripture turns when Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? And in Pharaoh's world, there were 2,000 deities. He wasn't unfamiliar with the idea of gods, not at all. Their world was driven in every sphere and way by the concept of gods. I mean, he was a demigod in his own time. And as we understand that, we go, okay, so he wouldn't have struggled with the idea that the Hebrews, the Israelites, would have had their own God. He wouldn't have struggled with that. What he would have struggled with, uh, this God making demands. See, this was a God with a little G to him. He's forgot there's a big God who will get his glory. And as Pharaoh struggles, God starts to reveal his glory. God says to Moses in Exodus 6, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. It continues. And so God says, I need to make a first impression with this guy, Moses, this guy, Pharaoh. Who knows if first impression is quite important? Just, if you've ever been on a date, he's like, Making the first impression. How do you walk in the room? What's the first? You've gone for an interview, people practicing hours and hours and hours. Always get it wrong anyway in there, so not sure why they do. But, but Pharaoh hasn't been introduced to God. So God says, well, let me make a first impression. And this is how it plays out in chapter 7. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, and say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord said. I love that. But Aaron's staff swallowed up the other staffs. Why is that important? Well, the very first statement and introduction of God, God goes with turning a rod into a snake. Why? Because right up front, God says, I am the Lord, Pharaoh. Big L. I'm a big guy, a big God. And you wear a snake on your head because on the top of Pharaoh's headrest, he had the symbol of Pharaoh was a cobra snake sitting on his head all day, every day. And God says, you know what I'm coming for? Your head. Your head. I'm coming for your head. I want my people free. And the way I'm getting my freedom is by taking your head. And God's not messing around. 
He makes a strong first impression. And obviously Pharaoh hardens his heart. And later we see God hardens his Pharaoh. But God was just warning Pharaoh, I'm coming for your head. And I want to tell you, as we preach this series, my faith and my courage is to declare to the slave masters over people in this room, people watching online, people everywhere that God has called the book of Exodus to be preached, your heads are coming off. God wants to set his people free. God will keep setting his people free. He's not just going to do it on a Monday night at recovery, although he will do it there. He wants to do it everywhere even where the enemy has got good at hiding. Secondly, and I love, have you ever watched The Prince of Egypt, the animation? If you've had kids in the last decade, you've watched it 37 times. And um, there's the scene that plays out as, as they, the, the Moses and Aaron do their thing and their rod falls to the ground, the staff turns to a snake and it eats other snakes, but these other magicians appear. He's playing with the big boys now. Come on, you've got to watch it. If you haven't watched, go watch it. It's top class. Every parent sing with me. We're playing with the big boys now. And it plays out. And they're almost playing games with God. And they start calling him the God of Ra and the God of Shaktar. And they go, oh, and they're going all the tricks that they can muster. A little bit like Hollywood. And all of a sudden, we realize that there's a big game. And Pharaoh's responses to the call to let God people go, No. Simple, predictable response. So God's action is to one by one tear down the gods of Egypt. Now there are 2,000 gods, so God just went for the top 10. 10 being the number of completion, 10 being the number in that space of completely annihilating everyone that would set itself up. And I don't have time to go through, and we don't have time in the series to take each and every one, but I want to tell you God starts with plague number one. What's plague number one? It turns the water into blood. I'm going to tell you why now. Verse 14 of chapter seven. Actually, I'm gonna to jump to verse 19. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and stone. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile, and all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its blood. Water was everywhere in Egypt. But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their dark arts, and Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went into his palace and did not take even this to his heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink from the water of the river. Why is this important? Well, there was a God in that time, a, a God of pleasure and the God of life, seen as a God, a God called Happy. Maybe we've got a picture of Happy. That's Happy, the Egyptian God of the Nile. You've got to understand the Nile and its water was both an economic resource. Every year, the Nile would flood around the time of June, and that water would overflow the boundaries of the Nile and flow into the floodplains and leave rich soil available. That's why there was such rich, they had an ability to do life in the desert over all those years and sustain that life because of the flow of the Nile. They, they fished the Nile. They used the Nile for transport. They moved their armies up and down the Nile. Their economic strength was the Nile, and their glory was the Nile. And God says, actually, I'm gonna take the one thing that you're God of the good life. It's not lost on us that happy is, is the name of this God. Anyone see the connection? I want the happy life. I want the good life. And God says, okay. You think you've been sustained by some lady called Happy, supporting and promising this good life economically. Well, the challenge is God breaks and says, I'm going to go there first. And he turns that water 
into blood. Now you could say God is randomly just doing miracles. God's got his trick shows like America's got talent. God's here, everyone loses, golden buzzer. It's not what this is about. God is systematically taking down those that have stood up to lead his people into slavery and systematically he's gonna chop off their heads one by one and he starts with the God of the good life. And you know what they do? And, and yes, Pharaoh's guys jump up and they dig little, little trenches outside of the river because that blood goes everywhere. Everywhere. I mean, let's be honest. We live in a world where some people never drink water from a tap. Oh, water from a tap. How disgusting. On their fancy water bottles. Now imagine every source of water that you do life from is from a river of blood. So, God's, so, so the Pharaoh's guys get up and they get clever. They dig little ditches and they get a bit of water from a ditch. And Pharaoh goes, oh, we're fine. I want to tell you, we do the same. We can't drink from the life that God's got for us. So sometimes we find an ability to dig a ditch that sustains us for a little bit. And we think we're going to be fine. God says, okay, we're going to move forward. You know what I'm going to do now? From that same Nile, that same life-giving uh, pleasure place that you call the Nile that has sustained your people and is an icon to your people, I'm going to let frogs come up. But like proper frogs. Not fancy frogs on French plates. Just thousands and millions of frogs pouring up. It says, they're going to go into your houses. They're going to go into your bedrooms. He even says they're going to be in your ovens, your stoves, your everything. They're going to be there everywhere. Let me show you. God, number two that God is dealing with as we jump into this story, Heket, the God with the face of a frog. God says this God that promises fertility and life and fruitfulness, ultimately fruitfulness, says actually we're going to go to Heket for our fruitfulness, whether it's from a womb or from life. We're going to go to Heket for our fruitfulness. God says, whoop, head off Heket. Here's what I'm going to do. You think she controls? Now I'm going to use the very image of Heket to destroy your lives, to realize that is what you are doing. Starting to see the story, Egyptian plague number three, the last from the dust of the earth. Let me give you God number three, Geb, who is the controller of the dust of the earth. He is the one who brings life. And it's a reference back to creation as man is made from the dust of the earth. But this is the first time as the gnats start to move into the houses, as the frogs are starting to dive and stink, God sends these lice and gnats to invade their lives. And all of a sudden, Egypt's magicians go, we're out. We can't do this anymore. They can't compete. We've got no answer. And they say, this is the finger of God. Pharaoh's own musician, musicians, maybe they wrote it. This is the finger of God. Uh, I don't know. But, but as they state that, Pharaoh's heart hardens. And this play keeps playing out. Moses and Aaron, yes, God, go in. Pharaoh, hard hearts, okay, Sorry about this. And then we see Egyptian God number four, and there's so much more before, but the God kept Kepri. And this is the one with the swarm of flies. You've got to watch it in the Exodus. It's quite amazing to see. Just like, and you see Pharaoh sitting there with one of those fly swatter things. I literally, I was sitting talking to a friend of mine in Doha the other day, and he's, while he's talking, he's just got the fly swatter. He's just doing this. I'm like, are you all right? <laughs> it's like, and that's like three flies. Imagine swarms and swarms of flies coming. Why? Because God says, I want the head of Kepri who has set himself up as some God in your life that cannot sustain your story. Welcome to the God who cuts the heads off his enemies. 
Enemy number five, plague number five, Hathor, the god and goddess of love and protection. And this is the plague where God comes and starts killing the cattle and the livestock. He says, I'm going to wipe out. Why? Because cattle and livestock sustained life. They, they brought wealth to a nation. They brought ability to lead, ability to pioneer. And let's not fool ourselves. The, the Egyptian people were pioneering people. And yet God says, I'm going to step in. And even though my people cannot see that freedom is their call, I'm going to take the heads of their slave masters one by one by one. And they get invaded by flies. I mean, this would have affected economic disaster, transportation, food, everything. We carry on. And the Egyptian God called Isis, the goddess of medicine and peace. And God says, I, and I just, Moses, like an absolute gangster, to this point, he'd warned, he'd spoken. This time he just walks into Pharaoh's presence, takes the ash and goes, the ash goes in there and instantly boils, start breaking out on everyone. But here's what's changed in the last two plagues. God's people are no longer affected. They're sitting there going, hmm, that sucks. Flies all over the Egyptians and they're still going, not quite sure what God's got for us. Then they, fro- then they start evading and boils start breaking out. And, and Moses had to inform his mate Pharaoh, hey, this is not happening to the people of God. And now we start to see a plague pouring out as boils. And you know what's amazing about this is a people who are obsessed with being clean. God makes unclean. And we start seeing the narrative unfold. As God reveals that which the world called clean, God declares unclean. And I know I'm going at a thousand miles an hour here, but stay with me. Egyptian plague number seven, hail rained down in the form of fire. And God is dealing with this God that has set, himself, set herself up in Egypt, the Egyptian God of the sky, the God called Nut. And hail breaks down, destroying lives, destroying, and, and God revealing that only I control the skies. He's getting higher and higher and bigger, and God is flexing. His muscles upon the earth he created. So a people who are called to worship him will walk into that freedom knowing that he is the one that they can trust. See, the problem with men and women in slavery is learn to trust our slave masters will deliver on the very small promises they'll make, which is we'll keep you alive. The slave masters had just increased the load upon them. It carries on and I need to move locusts from the sky. Seth, the Egyptian god of storms and disorders. Number nine, the god Ra, as God completely blocks out the sun for three days. God just says, actually, no sun for three days. Now you gotta know, Ra was the ultimate authority in this nation, that although they had 2,000 deities, Ra was the guy. He was the reference point, and the sun was the ultimate sign of power. God says, you know what I'm gonna do? Just gonna block out the sun for three days. But there'll still be sun in Geshem where God's people are. There'll still be light. You starting to get the picture? Darkness was this representation of death and judgment. And, and, and as we start to understand the nuances that most commenters say, we don't, the Bible doesn't tell us, but Pharaoh at the time was probably Pharaoh Ramesses, whose name means born of Ra. He considered himself the son of Ra. He considered himself a demigod based on the power of Ra. If he cripples the power of Ra by taking away the sun for three days, there is no power. And you would think Pharaoh would get it by now. Even as you're sitting, you're going, I would have got it by now. I'm reading this going, how did he not get it? Because God had a bigger story at play. And the obliteration of that sun signaled there's a power greater than Ra because God has committed the freedom of his people And this is the most important point. Make your mark. The 10th plague 
It's the first time God's people are called to move from passivity to involvement in their own freedom. It's the first time. It's the first time. And God calls him at this time. He says, we're going to do one thing. God speaks again to Moses and Aaron. This is a new start, new year, new month. Take a lamb and slaughter that lamb and allow the blood to be put on the sides of the frames and the top of your door. It's called the Passover. It's spectacular and beautiful. And, and, and Jewish people still celebrate it every week as they remember the Passover. And every year at the, at the celebrations and the feasts. And the church should call to be reminded that our God is a God of Passover. And it goes like this on the... On that same night, I will pass through Egypt, God speaking, and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt, all of them, not just the nine that I've dealt with, all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and where I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt. Say all. The God who's committed to the freedom of his people. Don't try to rationalize it. Don't try to work it out. Don't try to do the maths. All. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was a loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. Not a house. You've heard the wailing of the last two years as we've lost and there's been lost. Imagine this nation who had oppressed God's people and lived off the benefits and the fats of that, the wailing that would have come out as the death unfolded. It says in verse 31, during the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, up, leave my people, you and the Israelites, go, worship the Lord as you have requested, take your flocks and herds as you have said and go. How's this? And also bless me. Why? So all of a sudden, a man who thought he was God encountered the God of heaven. Mightier, greater. Thank you so much for joining us today. That was an incredible message. If you want to get connected, please head over to our website. But if you want to find out more about this amazing series, follow us on Facebook and Instagram or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Otherwise, have an incredible week.